Maya. Good evening, everyone. I'm Maya. And how lovely it is to be part of the baptism of these three fine people tonight. Tonight's Bible reading is from Romans 6, 1 to 11. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that of all of us, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that Christ, since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I now ask Jeff to come. Let me pray for you, Jess. Father God, thank you for your love and thank you that through your love we know how to love and we can uh, live out that love in the lives that we live Uh, We just pray for the speaking and the hearing tonight and that we uh, will learn something and uh, let it dwell in our hearts and think it over in the week to come. Thank you for Jeff and the message that he will bring to us now. Amen. I think I'm I'm, uh, wide for sound. Very good. You know, through this week, uh, uh, listening to these people prepare over the last few months for this day. It reminded me of uh, early in my ministry uh, in a country church uh, having a conversation with a friend, a guy called Phil. Phil was a a pretty brilliant footballer and basketballer, the difference between the teams by this time in our district. And uh, he'd uh, come to the Lord because... uh, a young Christian woman had basically uh, turned him down (laughs) and he wanted to start going out with this bombshell that he'd met at a church function that he came to and uh, she told him that on no uncertain terms would you go out with a non-Christian. He uh, was a bit affronted by that but he had never met uh, a Christian person whose faith meant something about how they lived. And so he started asking me questions. I was uh, helping him and a few others with pre-season training, get a bit of fitness for the uh, season to come. And it's amazing how often when you can bring a person to oxygen debt level, they start asking eternal questions. And uh, 
he, uh, he got pretty serious about that and very naturally, after a while, he accepted the Lord as his saviour and we're just about finished bringing him to that point where he's going to be baptised and I said, any more questions? And he said, um, yeah, uh, one question, what's it going to be like now as a Christian? What actually happens? And I, to be honest, I was stumped. No one had ever asked me that because I'd always focused upon the fact that the Lord Jesus had his finished work in history and he'd risen from the dead and he's in glory and we trust in that. And that's going to affect our future life. And that when we die, we don't face death as a foe. It's been defeated by the work of Christ and his resurrection. But Phil wasn't asking about the future, he was asking about the present. And that's what this little passage here that Paul is talking about is what difference does the finished work of Christ in the past make to the present? And it makes all the difference. And uh, it's dawned on me how often I haven't dealt with that. So I'm really directing this message to these three wonderful people tonight. I want to just talk about how you can get the best out of the present, given what you've just done and what has happened in the past. That affects your future. There's a big issue in Paul's church, wherever he went, is that people couldn't believe how powerful grace was. People couldn't believe how effective the saving work of Jesus was, even the Christians. And though we were saved totally by grace, that it's totally by God's mercy, he does everything. We are simply the recipients of his goodness. We don't have to, he doesn't, doesn't expect to get a return on his investment. He still saves us by grace. And yet there were people who went around and said, you go preaching that, Paul, and people are going to get slack. You, know, you, you teach them about security, that they're actually secure in heaven and it's all signed, sealed and delivered, and they'll just muck up in the present. You've got to bring in a bit of conditionality into your gospel. That's what they're saying. And some of them were doing that in terms of, you've got to bring back the law. And you've got to tell them that if they don't obey that law, they could lose the future. You've got to dangle them over the pit of hell, if you like. Because if people aren't insecure, they won't behave to get secure. Sounds logical, doesn't it? And Paul basically begins answering that by using a little word in verse 2, meganoito, which means over my dead body. That's my loose translation. <laughs> May it never be, he says. That's not how it works. We're saved by grace, lock, stock and barrel, past, present, future. It never changes. What Paul then goes on to explain is he explains our status in terms of our baptism. He takes these people back to their baptism. And he says, don't you remember, don't you know that all of us, when we're baptised into Christ... We're baptised into his death. And we're baptised into his death that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might be raised. And then, then he moves away from baptism and he, he talks about the actual reality of what a Christian is. We, Paul is saying something which I don't think is preached enough. 
We, when we are baptised, when we believe, when the Spirit grabs hold of us, he unites us not just with Jesus Christ the person, but he unites us with the history of Jesus Christ, with his whole story. His story becomes our story. That's what Paul is saying. That's the brilliance of the gospel. That's why it's grace alone. It's because we, God identifies us with Jesus Christ. When he looks at us, he looks at Jesus Christ. When he thinks about whether we deserve to be in heaven, he thinks about Jesus Christ. Does he deserve to be in heaven? And that's how God thinks of these three tonight. This baptism is God's way of saying, I have the same attitude to you that I have to my own son, Jesus Christ. I've united you with his history. Not just with him. The model of, the, of, of, of Christian salvation is that it's a salvation history, not a fusion of beings. That's mysticism. He unites us with Jesus Christ. And it, the brilliance of it, why he does it, the reason why God saves us that way is he points out in verses 6 and 7, He says, we know our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we'd no longer be slaves to sin. For one who's died has been set free from sin. In other words, if you want to beat sin inside a human being, kill them because dead people don't sin. And that's why Jesus died. So he could be put to death with our sins upon him And that moment he died, we died. And dead people are free from the domination of sin. And there's this old sin-death thing. They're the evil twins that have mucked up human history forever. He's broken that nexus by experiencing death. He's freed us from sin. That's only half the story. He then goes on. For the death that he died, he died once and for all. But now, Jesus... The life he lives, he lives to God. And so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. You're no longer dominated by sin as a law of this universe. You have been united with one who now lives in eternity. And if you can come under the lordship of sin again, then so can Jesus. That's what he's saying. It's impossible. Sin is still a living possibility in this world. But the domination and the law that sin governs your life is over for you three. And now you can really live to please God. You can focus upon real worship. And that's real living. You can live to God. And he finishes by saying, verse 11, So you must consider yourselves deliberately think a certain way you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus each of us here if we're going to really experience forward progress in the Christian life freedom from sin not just becoming more moral I can do that on my own but to be really acceptable to God then I've really got to think differently I've got to consider means deliberately think that I'm dead to sin. I can do it. Years ago, um, when I was first married, 
and studying at a theological seminary. I lived in probably the second worst house in Brunswick. I think our neighbours lived in the worst. And, uh, <clears throat> and it wasn't a very safe neighbourhood, this part of Brunswick in those days. Really it wasn't. You know, our hubcaps were always being stolen, our aerials were ripped off our cars, and our chemist was stabbed and this sort of thing. It wasn't a good place to muck around, particularly in the evenings. And so I was a pretty avid sports person in those days, and I used to get up to go jogging in the morning. And uh, I used to sort of head south, I guess, and hop across the railway line, across Park Road, and ended up in Parkville, which was full of parks. And uh, I'd run around that and feel quite safe that time of the morning. Bad people are just getting home about then, and uh, you're pretty safe. And uh, one particular morning... um, it was a beautiful, fine morning in autumn, and uh, I, was, I was jogging along, and I just hopped over uh, the light rail. There's this light rail that runs right through Parkville and up north. I don't know where it ends up, but... And uh, I sort of ran up, and, you know, it's all the stones and then the light rail, and, and I'm heading down into where the hockey centre used to be and uh, near where the netball centre is now, and, and I'm, I'm heading down there, and I'm running past... And there's this park bench, which someone has put right out of the middle of nowhere, you know, with the concrete things and the, the wooden bits. And, and I'm running past this park bench, and uh, all of a sudden, the bench starts barking at me. And I thought, hmm, that's that oxygen debt thing again. And, uh, uh, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, that could be a spiritual experience I'm having here. Uh, you know, Moses has the burning bush, I get the barking bench. And... Uh, and I'm running along and um, I thought uh, as I got a bit, I, I decided to tarry hither and uh, to see what was going down there and as I got closer to the bench I couldn't see it from the distance but underneath the bench was this um, black hairy dog sort of like a red setter except black one of those hunting dogs and uh, it was savage and it was going at me running you know, 50 metres away. And I thought, what a strange thing. And then I thought, it's particularly strange that it's so savage but it's not running out at me. So I thought, let's have a look. And I went over to this, this bench and when I got really close and got down, the dog uh, was attached to the bench. Now, trigger warning, this is unpleasant and I don't like animal cruelty. Uh, but if you're a tender soul, wind it down. Um, then, as I got near that bench, I could see that some sadist had punished this dog. I don't know how long it had been there, but its ribs were standing out. It was terribly malnourished. And some sadist had got some yellow electrician's wire and wound it around the dog's neck and attached it under the bench and around its hind parts. The dog couldn't move without pain. It could neither lie down or stand up properly. It was too tall for the bench. The dog was going crazy, frothing at the mouth. I thought, I'll save you. (laughs) And I walked over, put my hand out, and the dog just about ripped it off. (laughs) Don't you touch me. This dog had been damaged by its experience of this world. And I thought to myself, I can't just run away and leave this thing here. So I suddenly had a memory that, uh, you know, watching all those American reruns of Lassie had come in handy at this point. 
And I remember in Lassie's shows that if you want to show you're a friend of a dog, then you lie on your back and you like a dog and you make yourself vulnerable. And I looked around and I thought, oh, I hope those trams don't come past at this moment. But, and I got down beside this dog and, uh, and it took a long time. And I'm lying there with my legs up, <laughs> hoping that no one comes past and interrupts this process. And um, gradually, I was able to put my hand out and just touch the dog, and it shuddered. But then it calmed down. And then it started just to relax. I could feel the dog relax under my hand. And it let me start to untangle, firstly, the hind end. And then, basically, it started to let me untangle the wire, which was now about a centimetre into its flesh. This dog would have lost its head if it had stayed there. It was in a sentence of death. And I managed to get that dog out. But the thing that got me was the next minute I walked away and I, I said to this dog, come on, boy, come on. And you know dogs, they don't have words, but boy, can they speak. This dog looked at me with his long eyes and he stared at me and he said, mate, you've got no idea. I come with the bench. That's my reality. That's my experience. What you're asking is asking too much. And he looked at me like, oh, well, at least you tried. And I got down and I started pleading with that dog. And I'm on one knee with the trams going by, a man pleading at a bench to come with me. <laughs> and finally, this dog took a step. And he looked. And he took another step. And then he watched himself and he looked back and he could see from his own experience that he really wasn't attached to that bench. A couple of seconds later, I had the most wonderful kiss I've ever had in life. <laughs> and we ran home. And we crossed a tram line, a train line, a main road. I didn't have a leash. And I tell you what, I never said to that dog at any time, now you better obey me or it's back to the bench. I never threatened him with law or punishment. I had the strongest bond with that dog. And you know what it is? Gratitude. Gratitude is the human response to the grace of God. And God and Paul and the apostles and I and this church think that's enough. That if you really, if you really want to experience the freedom that comes, that Christ won in the present, not just in the future, meditate on the grace of God in the cross. And you'll find that's a strong enough bond to experience and taste a foretaste of the life of the risen Jesus in this place, in this time. I leave that with you. May that little parable be your experience as you go forward. Enjoy. Who knows where you're going to end up? Who knows what will happen to you as far as the world is concerned? 
We're not in a fortune-telling business here. But one thing I know is that you can consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen.